Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Former Chief Superintendent Bill Jackson, registered number 12372, returns to the crime couch this week to discuss his life in the job. Bill is also my father and just about to turn 86 years old. Bill came from an era when you dedicated yourself to the job. He was awarded a prestigious APM and worked in the mobile traffic section, CIB, second-hand dealers and drug squads and personnel before retiring as a chief super of E-District. Hi, Bill, and welcome back to the Crime Cap. Hello, Rochelle. Bill, you joined the job as a 19-year-old in 1956. Why did you become a cop? I'd wanted to join the police force probably from when I was about 14 or 15 years of age. What attracted, you know, what was attractive for you, Bill? Oh, just, uh, you know, the the role of the police uh, in those days, helping people and uh, it uh, was a good career and something that I have got no regrets that, uh, that I joined the force. You had a pretty tough upbringing, Bill. You pretty much were abandoned by your mum and you left school at 14. You worked on the construction of the Eildon Weir. What did the police force offer you? Well, working at Eildon was only a a temporary role. There was an American company that came out and worked on the Eildon Dam and that was only going to be for four years. And uh, I was thinking I stayed there for that time and then when that was completed, the American Utah Construction Company went home and I decided that uh, now was the time to apply to join the police force. What were your recollections of joining at the old police depot in St Kilda Road? It was very different the recruitment process in those days. Who were you interviewed by at that stage? Everyone that uh, joined or wanted to apply for the police force was interviewed by the chief commissioner personally, a one-on-one interview. So that was Chief Commissioner Selwyn Porter at that stage, is that right? Yes, Selwyn, Chief Commissioner Selwyn Havelock Porter was the staff manager at Myers and he was appointed by the government of the day to head the police force. Do you recall, did he say anything to you on the board at that stage when he was interviewing you? Uh, yes, he asked me, you know, what I, why I wanted to join the police force. I don't remember what I said in reply, but uh, he said, oh, well, that's... That's a very good reason. And you got in? And I got in. There were 
quite a lot of applicants that had passed the uh, education test and the physical test and uh, there were probably 60 of us and they had to form a squad of 30. You got in your squad of 1956, wasn't it? And there were how many, how many of those members are, are alive today? I'm the only one and I've been the only one for some time. The only one left of a squad of 30. That's rather sobering, isn't it? Yes, it's uh, quite a thoughtful thing. One of your first stints, Bill, as a senior Connie, was guarding Parliament House and you were posted at Russell Street headquarters. What was life like in those days, in the 1950s, as a young single man who'd just joined the job? Give us a bit of a word picture. All the single men had to live in at Russell Street Police headquarters and uh, it was a, a big tower of a building and the top five floors were for single members that had to reside in. They had no choice. The married men were allowed to live outside, but the top five floors uh, were for the single men. So what would you do on a Saturday night, say, for example? Well, there was always plenty to do. You were right uh, in the heart of the city. It was quite a little city in itself, Russell Street, as well as uh, D24, which was the communication centre. There was a dining room, there was a gymnasium, there was a library, and uh, you, as a single member, had access to all of these and uh, and you know it was was quite a good place to live and i believe your room in particular was uh very uh clean and tidy and a, a bit of a showpiece is that right well um there was a, a barracks senior sergeant and he was a very strict sort of bloke and he would come and inspect your room you didn't have to be there. He'd often inspect your room while you're at your station working and uh, your bed would have to be made with, uh, in a special way with envelope corners and I've uh, always made a bed with envelope corners ever since. I believe you also had a fish tank uh, in your premises, is that right? Well, I made my room as attractive as I could and yes, I had a, a fish tank in there with a couple of little goldfish in it and eventually I was able to get into another room at the end of the building which had a little balcony. So, um, you know, I had a, a very nice situation. Early on in your career, you also worked down the docks, the Victoria docks. Now, these were the days of the Wharfies and the Painters and Dockers and Billy the Texan Longley. Wharfies were fined for even smoking down there. How were police perceived? How were you perceived? Police were disliked, if not hated. You did all your patrols on foot and when the Wharfies had finished their particular shift, they had to go out a special gate 
and the police were there and they would search their car, make them get out, open the boot and they weren't, uh, really weren't liked at all. Well, often the wharfies too had lots of lurks and perks and false bottoms on things, didn't they, and and, uh, ways of secreting goods out. Yes, they they got up to all the tricks of the trade and I remember on one occasion there was a guy that uh, he was a wharfie and uh, he walked out with a barrow, barrow full of straw and the police on the gate opened up, the, pulled the straw out and there was nothing in the barrow. And then short time later he came out with another barrow full of straw and the police looked under that and there was nothing there. He came out five times in all and it was only later that they were notified that five metal barrows had been stolen. They the sort of, you know, larrikin things that were happening down the docks. And it was pretty full on, wasn't it? There was a time at one stage where you had a couple of black eyes, I believe. Yes, it happened down at Port Melbourne because as well as uh, the Victoria docks, the police uh, also had to go down to part of their area of patrol was at Port Melbourne at uh, Princess Pier. You were also, Bill, in the stolen motor vehicle squad and the drug squad. Did you always want to be a detective? Yes, that was uh, always my aim, to be a member of the CIB, and on reflection, I spent most of my time in the force in the CIB. What did you... What attracted you? Why did you want to become a detective? Well, they did different work to the uniform men, a lot of uh, uh, undercover work and, uh, you know, a lot of um, really solid sort of police work. More investigative. Yes, yeah. And probably that was something that you took a natural shine to. Who were the police members, Bill, that you worked with that you admired? Well, uh, one of the guys I worked with was Reginald Ernest Henderson, who was a senior detective, and uh, he was regarded as unique in the police force because uh, he had a photographic memory and uh, he would stand on the corner of Swanson Street and Flinders Street and just in the peak hour and watch who walked past. 95% of the time he would, he would arrest some crim that was wanted. Were there any other police members that you worked with that you did admire, Bill? I can't sort of recall. I, I worked with many members, many, many different members and uh, in different teams and... Uh, you know, it was really a good organisation. Okay, I'm going to give you some names, Bill, and we've done this before where I'd just like a quick couple of lines, one-line response about these uh, certain uh, people or, or certain organisations. The Police Association. Uh, the Police Association was um, 
different to it was not a union, it was an association and uh, they got on very well with the administration of the police. Chief Commissioner Reg Jackson. Reg Jackson, I remember Reg. He was no, uh, no relation of mine, but uh, a very uh, calm and, uh, you know, very well-respected Chief Commissioner. Detective Brian the Skull Murphy. Yeah, Murphy had uh, quite a, a reputation in the job. He always worked in a difficult, difficult area down in South Melbourne. He was pretty much uh, feared by the crims down and around that area. Billy the Texan Longley. I didn't know him um, personally, but uh, I did go to his funeral with my daughter and uh, why I went was to make sure uh, he was put away properly. (laughs) (laughs) Chief Commissioner Neil Comrie. Neil Comrie was, uh, yeah, good Chief Commissioner. Very often, as soon as there was a change of government, the government would change the Chief Commissioner because they wanted to have some control and uh, they would make sure that the person they appointed was, uh, was able to do their bidding. Chief Commissioner Mick Miller. Mick was a very good Chief Commissioner. He was probably the best uh, Chief Commissioner that I worked under and, uh, you know, very, very popular Chief Commissioner with the... Um, with the Victoria Police. Police women. There were very few police women. They were uh, probably when I was at Russell Street, there was a little group of them. um, And I think uh, there were about six of them and the, the person in charge of them was a sergeant. They were only called when the member, the, the member that was investigating some crime uh, needed a policewoman. There might have been children if they had to take the parent away and lock him up or her up and uh, they'd then get the policewoman to come in and look after the children. Bill, you were also a police prosecutor. What was that like? I remember you recalling quite a number of your days. So what was that like? I always enjoyed prosecuting and uh, uh, some members didn't like it because you had to stand before the magistrate and uh, present the case for the prosecution. Some didn't like doing that, but I always enjoyed doing it and uh, I prosecuted in the, uh, in the uh, main city court, uh, in the, uh, some of the suburban courts and always enjoyed doing it. What did you enjoy about it? Well, you had to present the case for the Crown 
and you had to make sure everything was done properly. If you didn't, if, if you left one of the proofs out uh, that was required for that particular case, you'd lose the case. So I always enjoyed doing it, and if there was... I'd get the briefs before going into court, and if there was anything missing, I would tell the member, we can't go into court with this, I'll get an adjournment. You worked through the Beach Inquiry, which was led by Barry Beach QC. He was instructed to investigate and report on any evidence of police criminality. He made adverse findings against 55 members, but before his recommendations were made public, there was a massive meeting of police association members on the 18th of October 1976. What was the time like, Bill? Did uh, the police strike at that stage? No, they didn't strike, but they weren't, uh, weren't happy with uh, the fact that so many members, uh, there were recommendations that they be charged and none of them were ever charged. That must have been a really hostile time. What was the Beach Inquiry about? Oh, it was about uh, corruption in the force. But a strike was threatened. It was never eventuated, apparently, as the government agreed to the demands of the association. Beach's proposals were never implemented and none of the police named by Beach were convicted. So was this just a state government way of trying to control the police force. Yeah, I think so, yes. And it was obviously something done by the legal profession at that time to try to pull in police power. Yes, it was. The legal profession uh, were on the opposite side always to Victoria Police and, uh, and, you know, we were never on good terms with them. You became a Chief Super Bill of the newly formed E-District in 1990. The district extended from Dandenong to Phillip Island. You were one of 11 heads of metropolitan districts under the new restructure. The big question is, did you get any additional resources? No, no additional resources and some of the stations that were in E-District were under-resourced and uh, there was just no negotiation on those. That was, that was it and, uh, and we couldn't get extra members. Was that really difficult? Because you also had a number of one-person, as they now call them. You used to call them one-man, but one-person stations. What was the restructure about, really, stretching resources further? Oh, just, you know, these one-man stations were really... I didn't like one-man stations because they couldn't do much. If they got called, they lived in a house at the station, at the police station. If they were called out, invariably it was at the middle of the night and the member would have to go out and his wife would then go into the police station and man the telephone. And, uh, you know, that, that wasn't a good an efficient way to do things but we couldn't we couldn't we've still got one-man stations unfortunately they they were supposed to have been taken away many years ago but they're still there 
I think a lot of the country regions really cling on to those one-person stations, as they now call them, Dad. The people on the one-man stations, they liked to be on a one-man station because they weren't sort of part of the regime and, and, and you know, they didn't have to uh, work terribly hard. You had to retire at 60, as police members in those days had to do. What was it like retiring at the peak of your career? It uh, was very sudden. There was no sort of... I took the car back, the official car that I had. I took that back on the uh, Friday night and uh, on Monday morning I said to my wife, well... I don't have to go into work now, what are we going to do? So we did a trip to Fiji. We went to Fiji and uh, I sort of said it would have been far better to have wound back quietly. Um, I was a chief superintendent. My deputy was a superintendent and he expected when I went he would get the chief superintendent's job, but he didn't. He didn't get it, although he was a good superintendent. They brought in another chief superintendent from Gippsland and it took him a long time to get to know how the district ran because he'd never been there before. It's not always ideal, is it? And there's often very little transition. And you can imagine the amount of local intel you have had. It would have made sense that you do a a proper handover. And I think the superintendent that I had, he was a bit resentful that he didn't get the job. But, um, you know, that's the way it went. Were you ready to go? Uh, Yes, I think so. Um, 60 uh, in those days was the compulsory retirement age. That's now been changed and you could stay in the job if you wanted to until you were 70 or even more so. But, you know, it's a difficult job and I think 60, in my view, was, was adequate. It's been now nearly 26 years since you left the job, Bill. Does it feel that long ago? Yes, I think so. I'm, uh, I'm 85 now and, uh, and I think things have changed so much. It's, uh, the police is a, a very different organisation now. They don't even call it the police force. They've dropped the word force because that gave the wrong uh, connotation. It's just called Victoria Police. What about when they call it a service? Do you like that? Oh, I don't mind that. I don't mind. But you'd prefer it to be called Victoria Police Force? No, just Victoria Police. Okay. Do you have any regrets, Bill? No, it uh, it was uh, very good and uh, I enjoyed my time there. And, of course, there's a good... Um, promotional uh, stream there and uh, you don't have to 
stay in the same place all your service you can go into different areas and uh, and you know i think it's it's uh, a very good career finally do you have any advice for members that might be listening to this interview um, for members in the job now that are hoping to climb the ranks well just uh, have a look at the opportunities that are about don't stay in the same place all the time it's uh, a change of job and a change of uh, uh, scene and you don't have to leave, leave the organisation. It's, uh, it's still very good if you plan your career. Well, Bill, thank you very much for sitting with me today on The Crime Couch. OK, Rochelle, it was a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Couch. Mm-hmm.